This is the Square Peg Podcast. And Cleveland, Ohio-based quartet, The Vums, officially getting us moving and rolling into the season with their hit Black Star. Check them out wherever you stream your music and on most social media platforms. Ladies and gentlemen, I uh, have a very special guest here today, and, and we are talking to her, of course, on the telephone. She's calling all the way from Butler, Pennsylvania. Um, Michelle Steiner uh, lives there with her husband, where she is in the field of education. And it was not an easy road to get where she is, but before we get to all that, I want to know, are you ready for the Stillers uh, to get going this week one? Oh, yes, most definitely. <laughs> are you, are you, are you, have you resigned yourself to, to being a Mitch Trubisky fan, at least for the, for the time being? Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> of course. Now, did you, did, did you follow Kenny Pickett when he was at Pitt? Uh, no, I didn't. <laughs> okay. Do you, do you pay attention? Do you watch, are you a Pittsburgh Panthers uh, fan or? Oh, no. I mean, yeah, of course, I always hope they win, but no, I didn't follow very much of uh, uh, college basketball. Okay. Well, you know, uh, are you also, are you a Pirates fan? Yes. <laughs> well, this is another, another very disappointing year. Um, I was, <laughs> I was just, uh, just did an interview with uh, somebody who works in Major League Baseball, and we talked about my, my love-hate, uh, affair, love-hate relationship with Major League Baseball and, and, how the pirates figured, uh-huh. figured into that, but you know, we're talking to you today um, about the challenges uh, that you faced as a young child, and and of course they never go away. But with uh, multiple learning disabilities and 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 other some physical challenges you had growing up, now dyscalculia is a very difficult yeah. word to say. You were said you were first <laughs> diagnosed uh, in kindergarten with some sort of learning disability. Is that correct? Yes. Um, they didn't call it uh, dyscalculia at that time, um, but uh, I was just diagnosed with a general learning disability. I came into kindergarten, and I struggled with uh, math and uh, tying my shoe and visual perception, and those were just things, and uh, they didn't call it uh, a specific learning disability at that time. Are we talking about the mid-1980s about? Yes. Now, mm-hmm. was that common for those days or was this just particular discussion was it was it common to just give a general label and have a general um, description of what your challenges were yes at that time they kind of just gave a general label um, someone came in they had uh, a disability or that they came in they had some issues uh, they got evaluated and they they would just give out learning disability or they would give out other uh, types, but mainly a lot of them had uh, learning disability. Just learning disability was just the general label. And did you, did you, parents have any clue or any concerns? Had you met, you know, prior to going to kindergarten, had you, had you met most of your developmental milestones? Um, yes. Right. I have met most of my devi- developmental milestones. I was my parents' first child, though. So they really didn't have a whole lot on what to base on what was going, uh, what was normal with going into school. Uh, I was in preschool prior to kindergarten, and the teacher there, she noticed some things were a little off with me. And she did recommend another year of preschool. I'm not sure how much that would have helped, though. We didn't have uh, special preschools at that age for, for kids with disabilities. Or if they did, they were very um, not very common during that time period. 
And what I needed was to have the specialty instruction. So my parents thought, well, she'll catch up. And they sent me to kindergarten. And it was really difficult. And you, so dyscalculia, I'm, I'm not even going to try to spell it, but it, I, I will just <laughs> say it's spelled like it sounds. How about that? Um, can, yeah. can you explain, and, and it's honestly, um, my understanding is you actually didn't hear of that term until about 10 years ago, and it's an umbrella term for, finish it off for me. Yes. Okay, it's an umbrella term for someone who has a disability that's math-related. So for somebody that has, a lot of people um, would sit, thought that I might have dyslexia when I was younger, because they would say, well... If you have a learning disability, you must obviously struggle with reading. And that, that wasn't the case. I maybe struggled with some reading comprehension, but I could read fluently. I read with expression. I loved reading, but I just couldn't. Uh, I just have a really difficult time with how numbers work. And, and you, some. Go ahead. I'm sorry to interrupt. Yeah. Oh, no, that's fine. Yeah. And. As I grew, some things made a lot more sense. That it just it went beyond having this. Just went beyond. Okay, I'm bad at math. Things like understanding directional concepts, like of east, south, and west, is one of them. Uh, the right-left confusion was another part too. That's really interesting because I know, I think most people have heard the term dyslexia. And uh, of course, mm -hmm. I've I've grown up with people. One of my two one of my two best friends I've known my whole life has dyslexia, and uh, he's a you know, highly intelligent guy. has a has a college degree and is a very successful professional now. I have a child with dyslexia, so I know from a parent standpoint mm -hmm. what it can be like. You know the frustrations, um, not knowing that that's what it is. And I know for my wife and me, um, we both took to reading very easily, and. Mm -hmm. We, we kept, I kept saying, just sound it out, just sound it out. And of course it doesn't work that way. And, you know, once, fortunately my wife actually is, a, it works for the local school system and is a special education social worker. So she knows all the language. She oh. deals with all of it. She knows all right. the ins and outs. She knows the words to say. She knows how to say what needs to be said to get what services and things like that. But, you know, I think, like I said, most people have heard the term dyslexia, um, but I didn't personally until, you know, I started talking to you, I didn't know there was a such thing as a visual processing disorder that dealt with numbers and dealt with math. Mm -hmm. Exactly. A lot of people aren't aware of that. It is just, and it's just as common with the statistics as having dyslexia. Uh, one in four uh, people have uh, a learning disability, and it's it's just um, it's just as common. But people just don't uh, hear a whole lot about it. Now you're not you 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 mentioned some some things, uh, and I don't know if you touched on all of them. But in addition to having the the dyscalculia, the visual processing disorder that makes it made it difficult mm -hmm. for you to to deal with numbers and math, and it sounds like some visual spatial stuff like directions and left and right. Um, there was also some hand dexterity. Uh, problems. Yes, right. I, there was definitely hand dexterity issues. I wasn't officially diagnosed with uh, hand dexterity until I was an adult, but I can remember things would drop out of my hands when I was young, and people would say, oh, you're just clumsy or be careful, and it also affected my handwriting, and that was a really big issue 
uh, in school. I can remember, I think it had to be first or second grade, my teacher putting a W on my report card for handwriting indicating weakness, knowing I had a learning disability. And that was really tough. Did you feel like even teachers, it sounds to me even like teachers didn't have the type of knowledge and weren't as familiar with, with learning disabilities. And it's kind of sad to say, but I don't know, maybe it's a, a 35 years ago. That's kind of how things were. Um, did you have it? I, I would imagine if you're having a hand dexterity and finger dexterity issues, you're dropping things. Um, I would imagine that affected your ability in, in PE class and recess and your ability to, to play with other kids or to, or get involved in, you know, youth sports. Um, was that an oh, issue? Oh Yeah. Oh, yes, definitely. Gym class was a nightmare for me <laughs> uh, growing up. I would, my visual perception, I would flinch whenever a ball would come at me, and everybody would be like, well, don't be afraid of the ball. Now, I knew that a Nerf ball wasn't going to hurt me or another kind of soft ball wasn't going to do that, but my eyes just would blink when it would come at me, or I would drop it, or I couldn't understand the rules uh, to a game or the concept of right and left, and it, that was really difficult. Um, for me, and you know, you know, I didn't really like to do a lot of competitive sports uh, growing up. Uh, it was it wasn't a lot of fun, but I do love to work out now. I like doing like going to the Y and doing uh, group exercise classes where you're just competing with yourself and doing lifting weights and treadmill and the elliptical things like that. You know, it it seems to me that some of it might be chalked up to. Um when you said you didn't know what to do when a ball was coming at you and, and, and maybe people would, well, you're just a young girl, maybe it's timidity. And, and, um, you know, as you know, nowadays, of course, we know girls plays just as many sports as young boys do, but mm -hmm. you know, it, you, it might've, it, it, how am I trying to say this? Given this was 35 years ago uh, in the eighties, it may have been mm -hmm. the expectations were probably less for a girl to be good at or competitive uh, in, in sports and in gym class. So in some ways, maybe it was probably less of an issue than, than it might be today. But, um, you know, they didn't have, I would imagine they didn't have things back then like adaptive PE um, or, or mm -hmm. physical therapists who work for the school district. I mean, nowadays you have, you got, you've got spe speech language pathologists, you've got a uh, physical mm -hmm. therapist. There's, um, I didn't know this, but I knew, I knew a lady who was a recreational therapist. Um, you know, now they have wow. all of these things that would imagine, you know, you probably could have benefited. Um, and now you said because you went, um, you grew up in Slippery Rock and there wasn't uh -huh. a whole lot of diversity there. Um, not necessarily cultural, but it's a, a smaller school district, right? Right. It was a smaller school district. So I wasn't able to hide having a disability. Uh, everybody knew everybody's business. They knew that I went to uh, learning support for specialty instruction, uh, especially in the beginning years. And even after I uh, was put into other classes with students in regular ed, I would have to go and take tests or have a resource class where we would um, work on homework. And a lot of times people thought I had an unfair advantage. They thought that I was going there and I was getting the answers and everybody else was working really hard. And, but it just simply wasn't true. Um, I was getting the, the help that I needed and they, it was pretty clear that, you know, I just didn't belong with them. And so socially it was difficult with 
having a disability. And it got a lot harder when I was a teenager and a lot of those uh, friend groups started forming and they were more cohesive and I just didn't feel like I really fit in uh, anywhere within my my own school district. Well, I mean, that's, of course, you're not, not the only one that's ever happened to, and that's hard to hear. And my, right. my understanding is, again, given my age, I'm a few years older than you. In the 1980s, mm-hmm. the first half of the 1980s, when I was in elementary school, I seem to remember uh, the trend or the standard back then was for self-contained classrooms, where it yes. was multiple grade levels, children who had any type of learning disability uh, were kind of separated, and that creates some of its own social and, and self-esteem issues like you were saying everybody knew that you had a learning disability were you ever mm-hmm. in my understanding is in elementary school you were in a self-contained classroom correct for, for most of it for some of it i was uh definitely for math i can remember for the first couple of years in elementary school it was for uh, math and uh english and i eventually i got a little bit more into reading but they would put me in regular ed during those years for uh social studies and science Okay, so, so there was there was some mainstreaming. Oh yeah, definitely there was some mainstreaming. I was happy that our district did mainstream because that was really important to have the expectation of how you behave, like in a class with uh, with regular ed students, and also having homework. I uh, know of, uh, of of some peers that they never had that experience of regular ed classes and. That was really difficult when they went even to community college, how to balance having uh, work that your teacher expected you to do. Now, we've, you know, when, when, when I first met you and we, we talked about you being on, on my podcast, you also talked about, um, and you talked a little bit earlier about most people associating learning disabilities and, and visual processing disorders with reading. Now, you, you also had to experience being, if you will, a minority with a minority because not only were you different in the sense that you had a learning disability and you had to go to some different classes, but even within the special education community, you said you felt like a little bit of an outsider because everybody else had reading disorders and yours was math, right? Yeah. I, everybody else really struggled more with reading. And I could go into when I was in the learning school classes for English or reading, I could read really well. I could write wonderfully. And I just struggled with the math and more of those a lot of my peers, they struggled more with the reading, and they were really good at math. So it was really hard to identify with uh, my peers in learning support, and it was difficult uh, to identify uh, also with uh, the regular ed peers. I, but definitely in the learning support, it was hard, too. I can remember I was struggling in a math class, and there was a, a boy that was good at math, and he didn't like <laughs> He said uh, that him and another girl were the only smart ones in that class. So that was really difficult to hear. And, and what grade is that? That was, I believe, eighth grade. Well, and you're probably... Go ahead. But I also had other ones that uh, said unkind things that were in learning support of not being smart. And <laughs> you're thinking, well, why are you in this class, too? <laughs> Well, it's, you know, it's, it's obviously got to have some sort of effect on the self-esteem. And, um, yes. you know, you, you did mention the, the, social, the social situation as you get older and different people with different interests and uh, different styles and different musical tastes and things like that start, start forming little, you know, different social groups. 
Um, did you ever, was the self-esteem and the, and the social issues ever addressed at home? Did you, did your parents ever suggest you talk to somebody or, uh, I would imagine, I would, I mean, I hope parents would be very encouraging. Um, my parents, yes, my parents were always very encouraging. They told me, you know, you're going to find your way. And one of the things that we did, uh, we did, we did was I started to hang out with some kids that were in a neighboring school district and they were involved with an art program in the community. So I hung out with them and I didn't have that reputation uh, that I maintained for all those years of being the person, the student with LD, the student that uh, wasn't smart. And that really raised my self-esteem being accepted by other people. And that gave me the opportunity to uh, find other people to be friends with and some of the, in other groups, and I'm still friends with some of them about 20 years later. You know, that does, that sounds a lot like what happens to people when they go to college. Uh, you know, high school, mm-hmm. again, is, is who you hang out with and what social group or what clique you're in um, means a lot. And I've, I've noticed people go away to college and a lot of those things go away. Uh, I'm glad to hear that you were able to actually, actually able to experience something like that um, a little bit, a little bit earlier. Now you had an experience um, with a teacher when you were in high school who told you something that you ended up disproving. Um, but I, mm-hmm. I imagine could be could be very discouraging at the time. Can you talk about that? Sure. When we were trying to figure out what I wanted to do after school, I um, I knew I always wanted to do college. That was definitely something I wanted. And uh, of course, my math. I mean, it, that was some reser- I had some reservations, and so did uh, a teacher that I was working with. And she told me. I don't think you can do college, and she recommended vocational training schools. And nothing there really interested me. I uh, didn't have uh, an interest in doing some of those programs. And a lot, even some of uh, my peers didn't understand that. I can remember them saying, well, why don't you want to go on a tour? And I said, well, I really am not that interested in the place. And they said, well, I would go if, if that meant getting out of school for a little bit. And so I, I knew that I didn't want to do vocational training. I wanted to do college, but just that journey of trying to get there was a little scary. Was when the, So when this teacher said this to you, was it at least untactfully or was it done in a way that really deflated you? I think she attempted to do it tactfully. I can remember it was during an open house with my parents and I think she, like she, I mean, she she did try to do it. I think in a tactful way, but it's still, uh, it's it still stuck with me though. That was still really difficult. Well, it sounds to me like you ended up using it as motivation, and I'm I'm interested to hear um, you talk about the suggestion about vocational training because that's actually what I was going to ask you. Uh, you know, you brought it up, so I didn't have to. Um, and, and that's a lot of, uh, that's kind of, uh, the, the logical, I think for a lot of people, if you, if you are not academically oriented or if you have challenges that some people think might make it more difficult than, than the effort is worth to go the traditional college route, um, there are vocational programs. And there was a thought that I didn't have, uh, never had until you just mentioned this, that you didn't find anything that you were interested in. Now that I think of it, most of the vocational programs that I'm familiar with, and we had, you know, my high school 
uh, in Fairfax County, Virginia, was one of two that had a vocational magnet wing. And most of mm-hmm. the most of the classes were they had auto body, auto mechanics, welding, floor covering, and I think there was cosmetology. But at the end of the day, most of those vocations are are geared towards what have traditionally been associated with men and you know masculine uh, manly mm-hmm. jobs. So actually, I can kind of understand why um, you might not, as a girl, again, a girl in the late eighties, early nineteen nineties. Um, and even now, I don't think a lot of women are going into welding and, and, and auto body and auto mechanics. So it almost kind of makes sense that that wasn't from the from the get go wasn't something that uh, that you were too interested in. Now, when you're in high school, we all we all get to that age uh, when we're in high school where it's time to start talking about driving. Um, how did that yes. go with you and your parents? Well, my parents knew with my eye hand coordination that it was going to be difficult for me. So they thought, well, we'll wait a year just to see if things start to mature a little bit. Um, and then we'll go, we'll go forward with that. And, and during that year, they had me um, try to mow the lawn with the lawnmower. We <laughs> lived out in the country, and we had this big field. And they gave me the uh, lawnmower, and uh, instead of making nice straight lines, I made uh, circles. So we... Uh, we now know where crop circles come from. You invented them. And yes, exactly. <laughs> no, but people usually don't associate those with Western Pennsylvania. That's more of a plain states or a flyover states, as uh, Jason Aldean would call right. it. Right. <laughs> but that's what the whole, yeah, it's what the field looked like after I was done. And then my mom had me go in the car to uh, drive up the driveway with her in it and because we had a very long driveway and it was all going okay until I almost smashed our, our family car into the uh, garage door and if it wasn't for my mom stopping me that's what would have happened so one of the things I got involved with was office of vocational rehabilitation and they uh, paid for me to get a driver's license evaluation done in a rehabilitation hospital and I passed every single test that they gave me. Uh, my vision was good. I was able to know what to do if the car broke down or some other stuff happened. It, the only part I couldn't do was the visual perception. And they said, we just can't recommend you getting your license at this time. And I, I just knew that, I, um, that, that driving just would not be a possibility for me. If I would ever lose my visual perception would go out, I just didn't want to take that risk of hurting somebody. Now, you you did mention, I think that um, with along with the hand dexterity, there was a depth perception issue. So it wasn't a one hundred percent complete surprise to you that you weren't able to get the the driver's license. Now, how did that affect um, your social life and your ability to 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 do the things a lot of other teenagers do? I mean, to what degree? I'm, obviously, sure. I would imagine you had friends that had had driver's license. Yes, I had friends who were wonderful with who were older. And they were able to take me places. Uh, I, that that was great. My parents w- would also drop me off at places too and pick me up. So that that was that was good. Another thing that really helped out as I got older was moving in a central location where I could take the bus places, or I could walk to where I needed to go, or get rides. And that's also has helped me to be independent. And eventually, 
contrary to what the teacher who told you you didn't have the math skills to do, you ended up going um, a similar route I did, actually. You started off in community college. Um, what did you study when you were at Butler, Butler County Community College? I studied early childhood education. Uh, Office of OVR is the one that said, uh, because I didn't take SATs with the math, that uh, maybe what it would be a good idea for me to go to community college because a lot of uh, universities look at how well you did at uh, a community college. And I also had another person who was discouraging. I had a psychiatrist uh, when they did my evaluation for having a learning disability as an adult. He put on there most likely won't go beyond a community college. And of course, he was wrong. What did? How long did it? Were you able to do the um, the the associate's degree in early childhood in 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 about two years, or did it take you a little bit longer? It it, takes, it took me a little bit longer. It took me about three years to complete the program. Well, that's and, not. Go ahead. Yes, it took me about three years. I had to. Take, I mean, I was full time, but I had to take some classes, and I did struggle. I didn't because of the stigma I of having one. I didn't do the accommodations like I should have initially, and my grades really did suffer. That's really interesting because I was going to ask you, I know that there are universities. Uh, when I was younger, I know there were certain universities that were known for having programs that, that were catered to or especially for uh, and available to people with learning disabilities. But mm -hmm. I think now, uh, again, it's that would be, the I think, the equivalent of the self-contained as opposed to now they have – uh, programs where you you uh, you just you get help as you need it, special time, more time to take tests. Um, but you did yeah. eventually avail yourself of the services that were available to you, right? I, I did. I was. I can remember I was struggling in a class, and the professor said, "Why don't we at least get you extended test time for uh, this class?" And I don't remember. I, I didn't do very well in the class, but I was able to pass, and I was able to move on. And as you said, there are programs that are specifically for people with disabilities, but they do train them. Uh, there's not many of them, but what, what we're seeing a lot of now is accommodations that are offered to people that have disabilities on campus as on an on as-needed basis. And it's different for everybody. Some people might need the extended test time. Other people might need the test read aloud to them. Uh, some students might benefit from having a note taker. That's one of the things I did when I was at university. Um, other students might uh, do well with having uh, a pen, a smart pen with taking notes where things are recorded. It just depends on what the student needs. That that actually is really interesting. Um, I, I didn't really know the smart pen is an interesting thing. Of course, now we can we can record everything with our uh, with mm -hmm. our cell phones. Everybody's got got the recorder there. But you you ended up going on. Uh, you got your associate's degree, and you went to Slippery Rock University. They're called the Slippery Rock Rocks, right? Yeah, that's right. And, and I believe now that's where that's, that's where um, the Steelers used to train in Latrobe. Do they still go to Latrobe? Or they? Uh -huh. Okay, I thought they may have switched to Slippery Rock. Um, I think they're still Latrobe. So you ended okay, up going, like I said, you ended up going to Slippery Rock University. What did you study there? I studied um, community programming for Americans with disabilities. That's an actual and major. Now, yes, 
Well, yes, that is an actual program of study. They call it transition specialist now. But what if that is, is that's the service end of special education. So you go into classes and you will learn a lot about, well, what it means to have a learning disability or uh, what other disabilities are like and how to provide uh, quality services. And it was just wonderful to go into the program. The professors were so knowledgeable and so caring, and uh, they really uh, believed in me. And they knew I had a disability, and it just, it was a one, it was so much easier <laughs> the second time around. And a lot of that, too, was the fact that I used all the services on campus. I used, like I said, having a note taker. I uh, did extended test time, and I advocated myself for myself. And most of my professors were understanding. Uh, there's, there's always one <laughs> that doesn't quite get it. But I, my grades improved. I had more self-esteem. I even made dean's list for one semester. And I was able to graduate with a bachelor's degree. Well, not only did you graduate with a bachelor's degree, but you actually have a very interesting job for somebody who had such a difficult time in school. Yes, I work as a teacher's aide in a school with uh, children that have disabilities. Uh, I will go into some of the regular ed classes and just why help all the students, but I'll go and uh, help a student with that, that might have a disability. Sometimes it's just reinforcing what the teacher is saying. Other times it might be reading a test to a student. And that, that is just the most amazing thing is coming full circle because when I get a chance to make a difference in somebody else's life. That's, I think full circle is a really good way to put it. Uh, is this in the public school system? Yes, it is. Okay. But it's not, are you, are you, you, you work with general ed and special education students, correct? Yes. I don't work in a self-contained classroom, uh, I will work, this year I'm working with students in uh, a basic history class and some of them have disabilities and some of them don't. And I also work in uh, a resource room where the students that are in regular ed will come to get some help with their homework. Okay, and what level, what grade levels are we talking about? Uh, this year it's seventh grade. Okay, so are you involved in writing IEPs, uh, individualized educational programs? Uh, I don't write the I don't write IEPs uh, with them, but I do carry out what the IEP says that the student needs uh, to be successful. Okay, now you did you did talk at some point about, like you said, you actually didn't hear learn of the umbrella term of dyscalculia until ten years ago, and you have had some interaction with. Uh, community services for people who have learning disabilities or, or challenges of all different types, if I'm not mistaken, right? As an adult. Yes, I have had some of, of that as well through my writing. I've got, I've had a chance to meet other people um, virtually that have uh, learning disabilities that, with math, which is really affirming because uh, sometimes it's really easy to think, well, I must be the only one that can't read the face of a clock or has trouble with counting or things. And when you talk to somebody else, um, I'll get people that say, uh, if I write an article or if we're in a group together, 
that's my story too. And it's just having that connection with somebody else is amazing. Now, is this run through, uh, is this a government program, a, a local government program? Is this, is this like a, a nonprofit? How does, what is it? Okay. It was actually uh, run through uh, a group where I got published. Uh, the Mighty has, uh, they had a, whenever COVID came, they had some help where they uh, just like, they, they would have a lot of uh, online events where no one could go anywhere. Um, they don't have as much anymore with having a journal writing group, but we st- I still have a few people that I, uh, I'm able to meet with and we're able to uh, do some writing and just talk about things in general. Uh, I've done that as uh, an adult, and it, that's, that's a nice thing to have. And I've also experienced OVR as an adult, too, uh, the one, when I went back to school with getting funding, um, through, uh, through them and uh, the testing, and that, that was uh, definitely worth it. Tell me once again, you t- you, OVR stands for? Office of Vocational Rehabilitation, um, and that is a government program. Every uh, state, uh, I mean, every city should have, uh, has a local branch, and they pay for a lot for people that have disabilities. Okay. Now you uh, you're in education, and your husband does what does he do for a living? He is IT. Uh, he works for a, um, an internet and cable company. So he uh, people call him with their uh, uh, when their cable or their internet doesn't work, and he uh, he helps them out. And you you going back to what you do when you when you work with students? Do you all, do you tell them that you you had a lot of the challenges that they're having now? I'm, I will tell them that I'm not good at math, but I can help them with other things. Some students, I have said, I have a learning disability, but other ones, I might just say, well, <laughs> I'm not really good with numbers. I can remember I had a first grader, I was in a class working with a student, and she couldn't understand why I couldn't do math, and I said, oh, I'm just not good with math, and she goes, there's grown-up school for that. <laughs> <laughs> grown-up school for that no i was i was yeah. thinking maybe just along the lines of on a way to be able to uh to uh what's the word i'm looking for not communicate but identify but you know some sort of rapport uh and and some sort yeah. of uh, encouragement for kids be like look i had the same challenges you have and look at me i went to college i'm a teacher's assistant mm-hmm. i'm working i'm in a school I'm, I'm helping to teach people things um i would imagine that that you know you could form some sort of uh pretty good bond we're, we're kind of wrapping up here michelle uh, do you listen? What podcast do you listen to? Well, I really like um, the One Billion Brave with Domo. That's a really good one. They have a lot of uh, people with disabilities that, that, that will come on there. Um, I also like, I, I believe it's uh, Meg Magic or the Neurodivergent Magic. That's another one where people with neurodiversities uh, have uh, uh, come on and speak about things like that. And do you have, I know everybody, you know, we don't watch TV the same way we did when we were kids. Um, you know, if, do you binge watch any shows or what are the, what shows do you stream? What channels do you like? We like Hulu. Uh, we, we go through seasons um, of different things. We'll switch from Hulu to Netflix. Uh, we like, I like Handmaid's Tale. That comes up. Uh, we also go through and watch Stranger Things. That's another show that we like. And Yep. <laughs> Well, that's how we consume our stuff nowadays. I was actually, you know, my wife and yep. I just got into uh, Yellowstone. Uh, oh, okay. That's, 
over uh-huh. the, over the summer we hadn't seen it so we watched all four seasons and I was actually kind of disappointed to find out that when the new season comes out it's it's one of those ones where you get an episode a week it's not like a lot of other series where you know the entire yeah. series is released on day 1 uh and and if you so choose you can watch the entire the entire season in one sitting but I'm glad we were yeah, caught up exactly. on that I'm glad we were caught up on that and um it really is neat. I mean, just like I said, we watch TV in, in different ways than we did when we were kids, and it, it is neat to be able to sit down and watch an entire – spend. if you wanted to spend an entire weekend uh, watching a season uh, or two of a television show. You know what, uh, Michelle, we're coming up to the end here. I want to thank you so much for being my guest. Um, we get all kinds of different people here on the Square Peg podcast, and uh, I'm so glad that you reached out. Uh, and asked if 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 you could uh, tell your story and and I'm glad to be able to talk to you. I've learned some things. Uh, I did mention to you. I I do have a child with dyslexia, so it's mm-hmm. um we we do have some sort of kinship there and uh, something something in common. And um, I I definitely understand what it can be like uh, watching somebody struggle with those things and how good it feels when you watch them actually get it and we actually get those skills and watch them succeed. So uh, I want to thank you so much for being my guest. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, we have been talking to Michelle Steiner, who is from Butler, Pennsylvania. And um, I hope you guys enjoyed the episode just like I did. And we will be back uh, next week, uh, every Tuesday this fall on the Square Peg Podcast. You can get us uh, on wherever you get your podcast, And you can also, of course, find us uh, on our homepage at lascrucestoday.com. Thank you so much. We'll see you next week. The Square Peg Podcast, proudly produced by lascrucestoday.com and Bravo Mike Communications. And now, here's a message from one of the sponsors who make this program possible. La Pignon is the only full-service sexual assault and child abuse response agency in southern New Mexico, located in Las Cruces and serving Doñana, Hidalgo, Sierra, and Luna counties. All services are bilingual, bicultural, and all free. La Pignon offers a 24-hour crisis hotline, connection to community resources, counseling services, medical services, victim compensation, prevention education, and their Kid Talk warm line for kids 17 and under. La Pignon's mission is to provide comprehensive services related to prevention, intervention of assault and abused individuals, families, and the community. Sexual assault affects one in four females and one in six males by the age of 18, so it is important we start by believing and educate our communities on how to help. As a community, we must encourage people to report child abuse, and even if you just suspect it, you can report it to local law enforcement or the Children, Youth, and Families Department. We must have the conversations about importance of consent. Yes means yes, and everything else means no. Remember, it starts with us, and we all play a role in preventing violence in our communities. La Pignon can be reached at 575-526-3437, or visit them online at lapignon.org. You can also find them on social media at lapignonsars on Instagram and Twitter, and lapignonsars on Facebook.